Join me for a word of prayer. Jesus, thou divine companion, by thy lowly human birth, you have come to join the workers, all the burden bearers of the earth. You, the carpenter of Nazareth, toil for your daily food and by your patience, by your courage, you teach us that work is good. Amen. Please be seated. Labor Day Sunday is a Sunday where we think about a, one of the most important subjects that you and I encounter, work. Work is extremely important. It's extremely important to you personally, to me personally. There are uh, a few things that are satisfying and fulfilling as good work. Uh, there are a few things that are as frustrating and, disappoint, or, and disappointing as work that doesn't go uh, the way I want it to. And I know that's true for, for, for most of us here. We experience great satisfaction and great frustration around that simple four-letter word work, don't we? Uh, work is important as a sense of, provides a sense of definition to us and to our lives. Now, you could certainly think of instances when one is defined too, uh, the one sense of self is too dependent upon their work. Well, that's not entirely healthy, but I think it's a reasonable and good question uh, to ask people. So what do you do uh, by a way of getting to know uh, the people who you're just meeting? So work has a way of defining us. It's not insignificant that Jesus came amongst us as a, as a carpenter. That tells us something about him. We have a tradition at Labor, on Labor Day Sunday every, every year. I ask someone from this congregation to share about their work. The person I, uh, I asked to share was a little disinclined. Let me, I, I skipped a part of my notes. Let me jump back. Uh, not only is work important personally, work is important theologically. Just very quickly on that. Uh, the Bible and Christian faith holds work in very high regard from Genesis forward. Genesis begins with creation, God doing it, God creating, and then God entrusts you and me, humanity, with his creation to cultivate what he has created. Some church, uh, some have described our work as the masks of God. God carrying on our, his work behind our work. That may sound like an exaggeration, but just consider. We thank God for food and God provides food. But typically, food does not drop out of heaven. God provides food through farmers. We pray for health for our loved ones. We pray for protection for our loved ones. We pray for uh, many of the things we pray for. God does not answer miraculously. Instead, he uses the vocations of them that are called to that type of work. So, now back to my introduction. Every Labor Day, I ask someone to speak about their work. The person I asked was disinclined. Uh, they said, not my job, don't want to do it, I'm too busy. Thankfully, I had the inside track because it was my wife. Uh, so in just a few moments, Jennifer, Jennifer Glade uh, will come to share about her work. Now, in some churches, uh, the spouse of the head pastor is assumed to be a little bit like a uh, co-pastor. So I remember very on as we were planting Christ the King, I uh, introduced myself. I'm a pastor of the, of the church. And they looked at Jennifer and said, oh, well, that means you must be the pianist. Uh, 
And no, that was not the case. Nothing wrong with that tradition, but Jennifer has her line of work and I have my line of work and uh, certainly mutual supportive, but there's no sort of co-pastoring. She has her job, I have mine. I want her to talk about a work that, uh, uh, her work, and I think it's very important work. It's a type of work that does not quite have the prestige uh, when compared with some of the glamorous jobs that are out there. It's the work of, well, it's working in the home. And it's an important work. And I'm biased, but I think Jennifer is very, very good at it. You may be sitting there thinking, well, gosh, that's not my work. I don't, I don't work in the home. I, I work somewhere outside the home. You may think this has nothing to say to me. That's the, the point of these Labor Day testimonies is not to provide vocational tips to one another. No, we have all types of vocations represented from journalists to bakers to people who work in the political arena to people who work in healthcare. The purpose and the value of testimonies like this is for to encourage us all to think just a little bit theologically about our work and what better day to do that than a Labor Day Sunday. We want to think of how God is at work behind every good labor. We want to think together with what are some of the challenges that you face in your work? What are some of the opportunities for faith for, for the proclamation of Christ within your work. They're out there. And these are the th questions that we want to ponder together. And so I'm grateful that I was able to do a little bit of uh, arm twisting to uh, get Jennifer to share about her work. And as with previous Labor Day testimonies, you know, we're not elevating one type of work over another. And we're simply saying this is an example of how God can be at work in the very common stuff of life. I've asked her to share a little bit about her calling. How does God call us to work? Very few of us have a bright shining light. Most of us have a circuitous path. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the opportunities within work? Finally, what is the great purpose behind work? Behind her work and then behind your work as well. So, Jennifer, thank you. Good morning. David and I have been hard at work over the last week, so this is a timely testimony. All good beginnings for which we thank God. Four of our six children start school on Tuesday. We're in the Alexandria City uh, public school system. We have a kindergartner, a sixth grader, a ninth grader, and a tenth grader starting in new buildings. So we've just completed a full week of orientations. On Thursday night, David and I ran the T.C. Williams cross-country course for Parents Night with Grace and Katie Jane. That was a workout. I'm still kind of sore. I hope I just have old tennis shoes. And Grace acquired her driver's permit this week. So we have our first budding driver in the house, which was a thrill. Our neighbor was concerned because both Dave and I went the next morning with Grace to cross-country practice, and he thought that was not really a good idea that both parents were in the car the first time she drove. <laughs> we probably won't do that again. Uh, and finally, Jack and Sarah both had birthday parties this weekend. They turned 12 and 11 uh, this and next week. So... Initially, I told David no when he asked me to share because I did not feel like I had the time, but clearly I relented, and I am pleased to have carved out some time to consider the significant work that dominates my time, 
which is motherhood. I do work part-time outside of the home, which I will touch on, but my primary work is um, at home, and that will be my focus for this morning. As many of you know, David and I have six children. As I thought about this morning, I thought it would be best to start at the beginning. Did I always want to have a big family? And the answer to that question is yes. My grandmother, Jean Martin, was the youngest of nine children, seven girls. The Martin girls were a lively group of women, and we had big family reunions when I was a little girl. My grandmother was only able to have my dad. This was a disappointment for her. She desired to have a large family like the one that she grew up in. I know this disappointment is experienced by many. I am the first of two children. My hope for a large family began with my grandmother's extended family reunions. Those celebrations are highlights of my childhood. I always left wishing that I had been a Martin girl. They had the best stories and they were always laughing. Of course, dreams change as we mature. And in middle school, I read a book about a girl who had cancer and I decided I wanted to be a pediatric oncologist. I have always been decisive. David generally does not ask me what decision I may be considering. He is more likely to say that he knows that the train has left the station and he would like to know how far down the track the train has rolled. So in middle school, I told my dad my decision and he promptly plotted my academic career all the way through specializing in pediatric oncology on a floppy disk. I was born in the 70s. I did major in math and chemistry in college. I had the grades to go to medical school, and my professors were ready to recommend me. I spent my summers volunteering at University Hospital in Cleveland with chronically ill kids suffering from sickle cell disease, cystic fibrosis, and cancer. They taught me to play pool. They were great kids. My dream of a big family did not disappear, but I thought I would get married when I was 28 and start my family when I was 32, when I finished medical school. I was in middle school, so I believed I was in charge. I am still daily discovering that I am not in charge. I often feel like I am developing a prayerful PowerPoint presentation for God, and he laughs and responds with Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in Jennifer's mind, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. My dream of becoming a doctor began to shift when I was a sophomore in college. Organic chemistry is one of the determining courses for an aspiring medical school student, and I got an A. It seemed like my goal was achieved, but my success felt hollow. I called my dad, and when I gave him the news, I suddenly realized that along the way, my goal had shifted from a desire to work with chronically ill kids to simply proving myself in math and science. I think I would have enjoyed being a doctor, but I knew my pursuit was not sincere. It was not God's purpose for me. After over a decade with my life outlined on a floppy disk, I was very uncertain about what to do, and I was reluctant to commit to a new plan. I never applied to medical school. Instead, I applied to the Falls Church Fellows Program, a one-year program for people who wanted to integrate their faith and their life. My dad was so shocked that my mom let him smoke in the house. He usually had to smoke outside with our dog. He quit smoking shortly thereafter, so don't worry. <laughs> I share this 
backstory because while I wanted a big social family, I had not prepared in what I thought was the usual way. There are some people who dream about having a family and holding babies. I am not one of those people. I had other plans. I also don't love babies. I love mine, but mostly you may hold yours. <laughs> Many of you are realizing that I have not asked to hold your babies right now. I have been, in my defense, their VBS and Sunday school teacher. I like your kids, I just like them a little bit bigger. We started our family as a compromise when I was 29 years old, and over the next 10 years, God gave us six great kids. David asked me to speak about what I find challenging and what are my joys in work. Challenges and joys often overlap with one another, and intermingled in these questions is a larger question of how I see my work as a mother woven into God's work in the world. The first challenge of motherhood for me is physical. People often say when they find out that I have delivered six children that my pregnancies must be easy. I have had one easy pregnancy and five very difficult pregnancies. My pregnancies are painful and physically limiting, which has been difficult and often demoralizing with a house full of toddlers. Many of you supported us through those years and we are very grateful. The second challenge is emotional. On January 4th, 2011, Matthew, our fifth born, was born as our biggest glade, weighing in at eight pounds, 10 ounces. He failed to thrive. He was checked into Fairfax Hospital at one week and spinal tapped, and then he was checked into Children's Hospital at two weeks when he continued to shrink and dipped to just below seven pounds, becoming also our smallest glade. Psalm 62 is Matthew's psalm. It was our prayer on January 18th, 2011, when he checked into Children's Hospital. It was all we could pray on that terrifying day. How long this leaning fence, this tottering wall. My soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Pour out your hearts to God. Matthew pulled through. He's currently thriving. Praise God. He's eight and a half years old. My final challenge has been self-deferentiation. Managing our home is demanding with countless details, most of which go unnoticed. Sarah, our fourth born, was interviewed for Mother's Day in preschool, and she told her teacher that my job was to drive my car and make dinner. That was all she saw me do. It was about this time that I knew I needed some space. This desire for self-differentiation coupled with the financial demands of a large family led me to pursue work outside the home. I began to work for my friend and neighbor who works from home doing some office work for a few hours a week. It afforded me regular interaction with an adult during the day, a small paycheck, and allowed me to work from home or next door, but to set up a mental stop sign to the kid chaos now and then. I began to enjoy some personal balance and I craved a little bit more. So I started to pray for greater work responsibility outside of our home, mindful that I wanted family-friendly work. Many of you gave me valuable time and input in that process. Julie Kohler has always said, our family can try anything for three months. That is a great attitude and it bolstered my courage. Anne Thomas Johnston has been a great example of flexibility over the years, working part-time, full-time, coming back home full-time, and going back to the workplace. I now work 20 hours a week, keeping the books for an 
interior designer in Old Town. It was tricky for nine months while Susie completed preschool, but we worked it out with the help from our dear friend Barb Nelson, who took Susie to Bible study every Wednesday. Now I work during school hours. Finding personal balance is important. With some courage and flexibility, we have made it work. Those are some of the challenges of my vocation. Likely many of you can relate. What are some of the joys? Happily, Sarah also responded on her preschool interview that my favorite thing to do is to play with her. What a relief after the driving and cooking bit. I do love to play with her and her siblings. I love an adventure buddy, and I have seven, including David. We took six kids cross-country when Christ the King generously gave us a sabbatical in 2015. Susie was only one, and we hiked 105 miles that summer through 15 national parks. Kids add to the adventure. They do not hold you back. As it happens, I like making dinner. It's chemistry in the kitchen. But more than cooking, I enjoy going around and hearing everyone's best part of the day at dinner. I also enjoy all the people that come through my house with our kids. I came home from work one day this week to 12 children and three dogs. We have six children and one dog. It was a pleasure to come home to all of them. It was one of those gray days earlier in the week, earlier in the week so they were kind of mellow and playing Monopoly and American Girl dolls, and the teenagers were governing their doggy play date. More often, it is much louder, and there's a Nerf war upstairs and a Taylor Swift concert downstairs, but either way, I like having them. Finally, why is my work important? Two reasons. First, it gives me a great opportunity to speak about my faith, especially at my children's school and among my peers as we parent alongside one another. Claire Edwards, a friend and parishioner at Christ the King, equipped me early on. She told me to ask my public school teachers during my conferences what they would teach for family life starting in kindergarten. This was so helpful to me and is one of the ways I get to see God work in the world. Most of our children's, are, children's teachers are not active Christians, but all of them have been open to our faith. We have never had to pull our children from a classroom, but we have pulled a book and the other parents thanked us for it afterwards. We have reached out to a principal and a teacher about faith and gender issues that were not fairly presented and we had positive action taken. In each case, we were direct and respectful and our kids are still liked by their teachers. I speak candidly with our children from a young age about all the difficult topics for parents and kids alike what it means to be a boy and a girl, and how we relate to one another. There is great freedom in God's design for us in these areas. These conversations have opened the door for discussions in later years. Our kids trust me to answer difficult questions honestly because I was their first source on these topics. I've also been amused to discover how many of my secular peers are terrified of these topics because while they affirm most things publicly, they do not know how to address these topics privately. It creates an interesting opportunity to discuss issues of life and faith with them. So one way God is at work in my work is through providing me with opportunities to share my faith. But the most important way God is at work is by allowing me to join with him in the formation of six souls, their spiritual formation, their physical formation, and their vocational formation, to teach them about the Lord, to teach them how to pray, just this week, we discovered one of our daughters prays for all the kids she babysits for, including the ones who aren't Christians, <laughs> praying the same prayer over them that we pray over her. 
Over the years, our kids have shared Christ with their friends. I remember one of Katie Jane's friends sitting in my kitchen and saying, Jesus is not my friend. And the next thing I knew, Katie Jane had her big picture story Bible and was sitting in the driveway reading it to her. By God's grace, we are helping our children to follow Jesus, which by God's grace will help their children to follow Jesus and on down through the generations. We are forming people to follow Christ. I feel like this is my most important work, and I am grateful for it. Well, I'm, I'm glad someone started clapping. That wasn't me. I felt inclined, but it would be a little bit presumptuous for the husband. Uh, so thank you. So here's your assignment before Traffic Tuesday hits. Just take a few minutes and think about your work. And I know not all of us would think of our job as our vocation. I know there's some, there may not be a complete overlap there. Some of us just have a job because we need a job. And that's okay. But take a moment and think about your, your calling. Think about your work. Think about how you were called to it and why you were called to it. Most of us have a very circuitous calling, which does not mean that God is not there. It simply means it's circuitous. Ask those questions of what, what, what are the challenges that are inherent in my work? What are the opportunities for Christ and his kingdom that are woven into my daily work? And then finally, ask that, that really important question. What is, what is the purpose behind it? How is my work a mask of God? How is he at work behind my daily labor? And as you conclude those thoughts, you may want to just say this final stanza from our gospel hymn as your closing prayer, that he would take every task, however simple, and set the soul at free. Every deed of human kindness done in love is done for thee, Jesus, thou divine companion. Help us, help me to work my best. Bless us in our daily labor and lead us into your Sabbath rest.